Psalm 16, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in You. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in You. You see the psalmist, what he's doing. He is saying, Lord, I take refuge in You. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. That's John fourteen twenty six. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. How does God assess our love for him? Jesus said, it's by keeping my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's how he makes the assessment. He has chosen that way, by keeping His Word. That's how He assesses the degree of our love for Him. How would you like Him to make the assessment? Maybe you have a different choice, but that's His choice. You keep My Word, it's a measure of your love for Me. That's what Jesus said. And He says, if anyone loves Me, He will keep My Word, and My Father will love Him. If we keep the words of Jesus, it says, His Father will love us. I tell students, because I work with students all day, you know, look, if you really want to be my friend, be nice to my children. You take a person and you would be nice to their children, they will always like you. It works the same with God. You be nice to His Son, He will like you. My Father will love Him, and we will come to Him. Who is the we? That is Jesus and His Father. Don't trouble yourself. We will come to you. That's what he said. We will come to him and make our abode with him. So in John 14, 26, what he's telling us is, there is a place that we can abide with God. That there is an abiding with God and we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. Because He doesn't promise us material things in the New Testament. He does not. 1 Timothy 6, 8 says... If we have food and clothing, with that we shall be content. That's it. He doesn't even promise us a home. Luke 9.58 says, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. If you have a home, that's an added blessing. All He promises us is food and clothing. But what He promises us is so much better, and that is Himself. He promises us Himself. This is what He promises to us. And that's why the essence of punishment is alienation from Him. This is why the psalmist can say, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in You. It is abiding in the Lord. Verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my God, I have no good besides you. I have no good besides you. Paul put it this way in Romans 7, verse 18. I know that no good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. That's the way Paul put it. uh, uh, Jeremiah put it more intensely. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says that the heart of man is more deceptive than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the way he put it. The heart of man is more deceptive than all else. Think of the most deceptive person. Our hearts are like that. 
The heart of man is more deceptive than all else and is, and, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? We are depraved. We are really depraved. In and of ourselves, we are depraved. And that's why Paul said, I know nothing good is in me, lives in me, that is in my flesh. And everything we have is by the grace of God. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any of us boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If we think that we are not depraved, we are utterly depraved. But God in His grace comes to us. That's what He does. And this is what the psalmist is saying, I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. He's talking about the closeness that we can have and then the separation that comes when we seek other things. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says that the devil came and he took Jesus up to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. That's what Satan said to Jesus. Jesus' response to that was, be gone, Satan. For it is written, this is the way Jesus confronted this. Three times Satan came at him. And three times he said, it is written. And he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Satan offers everything and its glory to Jesus. Everything. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Misery is not being without something. Misery is getting the thing that we have always longed for and seeing that it brings no fulfillment. That's misery indeed. I've seen this, seen this played out many times in men's lives. I've seen men trash their family to run off with another woman, woman thinking that it was going to bring fulfillment and then realizing it really didn't. And then by the third marriage, just the things that go through their mind, they think, wow, that first marriage really wasn't that bad. That first wife really wasn't that bad. Misery is getting the thing 
that we long for and seeing that it brings no fulfillment. That's why Jesus can say, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. It comes through worship and service. And we bow before Him, not because He needs it in order to feel great. He is great. He doesn't need substantiation from us. doesn't need it at all. It is for us. We bow before Him for our own sake. So that we can recognize our smallness before Him. That He is great and we are not. When we worship Him, we are fulfilled. In worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. In worship and in service. These two will bring you great fulfillment. I love my work. I profess for a living. That means I get paid to talk. I lecture in classrooms. Students spend tens of thousands of dollars to hear me lecture them. And I tell my wife, you get to hear me lecture you for free. (laughs) I love my work. And I love my work because my main motivation is the worship of God and the service of Him. I don't go home because the clock strikes a certain hour. I go home because I'm tired and hungry and I'm like, whoa, I think it's time to go home. I love my work. When we worship God and serve Him, everything comes into context for us. And we end up being at real peace. Service as well. Worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Service. If you have not a role of service, attending church is not service. Serving in church is service. You have a role. You have a ministry. You have something that extends you. Then you will be fulfilled. This is what I tell young people. You want to find a spouse? Watch the one who is serving. I tell young men, watch the woman. Watch the young woman who, we have these, these college class lunches. So watch the ones who are serving. The ones who are serving are not selfish, but they're selfless. And it's much better being married to a selfless person than a selfish person. Watch the one who is serving. And I tell young women, watch the young men who are serving. Watch the young men that get in there and do the dishes. Watch the young men that are stacking tables. Those are the good ones. And many young marriages, have, they first met in our home over these lunches. You watch the ones who serve. In worship and in service, you will be fulfilled. Then he goes on in verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Look at the peace of this psalmist. Look at the peace of David. Look at the things that he says. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance of my cup. You support my lot. You're my support. I feel this way. I really do. 
Sometimes I, I, I feel like God blesses me so much. I wonder if He has time for anybody else. The Scripture says, You support my life. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I mean, David could have dwelt on all sorts of things. How his father never called him to the, to the feast when the king was to be anointed. His father didn't even, even hardly acknowledge his presence. How his brothers made fun of him when he came to, to uh, 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 the battle. Uh, um, his, his brother said, Yo, you just come here to see the battle and they started uh, 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 picking on him. I mean, he could have dwelt on that. Oh, my life has been so terrible. You don't, you don't know the abuse I went through. No. I mean, by faith, he just changed this. Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is, so we must believe in God. But that in itself is insufficient. Must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek God, He will reward you. That is what the Scriptures say. If I seek God, He will reward me. That is faith. Believe it. If we seek Him, He will reward us. The message that they heard, the message that they heard was of no value to them. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. The message that they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So we can hear something and poof, it does nothing. I, I think of... Like, like uh, Sam's Club and Walmart warehouses where you just, it's, it's like it's, you just drive for miles and it's just this huge building. You're like, what's in there? There's all this stuff in there. It's a warehouse. They get this vision that you're going to go to heaven. And you're driving down the street of gold and you say to Jesus, what, what's that building over there? It's huge. Oh, that one? That's all the blessings you could have had if you had only believed. He will reward us if we seek Him. Sometimes I share with students and they just won't take hold of this. And they walk away and I know that they just won't take hold of the Word of God. And I say, Lord, let not the blessings go to waste. Whatever they could have had, don't let it go to waste. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, look at the way the psalmist is thinking here. By faith. What is it faith? What is a picture of faith? It says in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It means he was like us. You struggle? He had struggles. You have doubts? He had doubts. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three years and six months anywhere on the earth. Did not rain on earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed and the skies poured forth rain and the earth yielded its fruit. 
Then if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, it gives us a picture of what Elijah was doing. He told Ahab, he said, Ahab, you better get something to eat because soon it's going to start raining. And Ahab was like, it hasn't rained for a long time. Elijah goes up to the top of Mount Carmel. And I've been there many times. And he goes and it says that he crouched down and he stuck his head between his knees. And he prayed. He prayed for rain. And he told his servant, go and look out over the sea. Tell me what you see. Mount Carmel is near the Mediterranean. The place where he was on Mount Carmel, because earlier in that chapter it says he was overlooking the, 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 uh, uh, the river Kishon. The place where he was was not at a place where you can see the Mediterranean. So his servant had to go walk some distance, a thousand yards, a couple of miles, we're not sure. But had to go some distance and look out over the sea. He looks out over the sea and he comes back. He says, I don't see anything. I think there's clouds coming. There's nothing. The sky is clear. And Elijah says, go back seven times. Huh? Go back seven times? I was just there? Okay. Goes back. Comes back. I don't see anything. Six more times. Goes back. Seventh time. He goes. He sees something. He comes back. He says to Elijah, I see a cloud rising out of the sea. But it's small. It's as small as a man's hand. Can't be much rain in that thing. Elijah says, go tell Ahab, he better get on his chariot and move. Because you got, you got Mount Carmel, you got Mount Gilboa. Mount Gilboa is the one where, where, where Saul died on in battle. You got Mount Carmel, Mount Gilboa, and then you have the Jezreel Valley. And that Jezreel Valley extends, that's where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be. So when the rains come, it just funnels right into that valley, and that valley gets really muddy, really hard to drive chariots in there. There's, there's accounts of that in the Scripture of how hard it is. He says, you tell Ahab, he better get moving, or he's going to get trapped here. There's going to be so much rain. And he says, and then the clouds became, the sky became black. Not dark, but black. And rain poured forth. What is faith? It is persistence. He said, you go back seven times. Let me give you a picture of this in my world. And then I'm sure you could come up with a picture in your world. In my world, I, I, I work really hard to write a grant proposal. And I submit it to get funding for my research. That's what I do. I walk around hat in hand all around the world, begging for money to do research. And after all that work, it doesn't get funded. And I guess, well, man, life is terrible. But faith tells me, you go back and you resubmit it. Until I've rewritten it and resubmitted it seven times, I'm not to give up. Faith is persistence. It is persistence. It is going back again and again. And we are going to win in this thing. This is faith. Verse 9 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is a messianic verse. Meaning that this is a portion, these two verses are speaking about the coming Jesus. Because whose flesh doesn't undergo decay? It was Him. 
who was put in the ground and on the third day he rose again. These are messianic verses. It's speaking of his resurrection, of what's going to happen with the Messiah. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is what Paul is writing. I delivered to you as of first importance. The most important thing is this. This is what Paul said. This is the most important thing I've taught you. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And then He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until today, but some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and finally, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So what Paul does is he says, Jesus was born, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. This is the most important thing, the truth of the resurrection. Faith in Jesus Christ is believing in the resurrection. This is what He brings to us, the resurrection. It's the most important thing. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, Unless we believe in our heart, we, unless we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead, only then shall we be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead, then we shall be saved. This is it. You don't have to believe in Adam and Eve. You don't even have to believe in the virgin birth. But what you have to believe in to be a Christian is to be able to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in His resurrection. And this resurrection wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It is very much a physical resurrection. That's why he said he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to over 500 people at one time and hallucinations are not shared. They're not. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. He says most of them are still alive today when Paul is teaching this in around 50 AD. He says most of them are still alive. Go ask them. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus rose from the dead, He appeared to His disciples and says they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They thought they were seeing a spirit. They thought they were seeing a spirit. And Jesus wanted to put to rest this idea of just a spiritual resurrection. He said, come here. Touch my hands. Touch my arms. Feel me. Come on. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then you know what else Jesus did? He said... You got something to eat? I mean, here's the resurrected Lord. He says, you got something to eat? He is going to show them that He's resurrected from the dead. Now I ask you, has anyone here ever seen a spirit eat? No. So you see, spirits don't eat. Jesus physically rose from the dead. And He says, they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and He ate it. I mean, they're probably thinking, give Him something to eat. What's a resurrected guy going to want to eat? Well, Jesus, Jesus loved fish. Remember, he was always multiplying fish. Give him some fish. If he eats fish, we know it's Jesus. And he ate the fish. 
right in front of him. Thomas. Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I stick my finger into the holes in his side and the holes in his hand and stick my hand into the hole in his side. That's what Thomas said in John chapter 20. Jesus came and he said, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. He said, Thomas, come here. Me? Thomas, come here. I want you to take your finger and stick it right here in the hole in my hand. And then I want you to stick your hand in the hole in my side and be not unbelieving but believing. Jesus physically rose from the dead so much so he said, Thomas, stick... No, it's all right, Lord, I don't have... Stick your finger in the hole in my hand and now stick your hand in the hole in my side. Deeper. That's what he tells him to do. Physical resurrection from the dead. It is the most incredible thing. How does a thinking man or woman ever believe in the physical resurrection? Because God has placed it in the heart of all men and all women to believe this truth. And if you've never believed this, you believe it now. And God will make it true in your heart. And come to the Lord this day, confessing that He is Lord and believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, it says He was despised and forsaken. Isaiah 53, verse 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem Him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Look at how it describes Jesus. This is prophetic speaking about the Messiah. He was a man of sorrows. It describes Him as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We've heard this expression, a man of the cloth, meaning a religious man. A man of the word, meaning somebody who loves the Bible. A man of the world, meaning somebody who, who, who's out in the world all the time. A man of the night, meaning somebody who's up to no good. It says, of Jesus, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows our struggles. And He never promises us to deliver us from suffering. Never. Believers go through the same suffering as unbelievers. We suffer pain of death. We suffer pain of sickness. We suffer loss of children. We suffer loss of many things. But what He promises the believer is that He will keep us from the despair of suffering. That He does. You speak to somebody who's gone through chemotherapy, who's visited death's door, not just because of the cancer, but because of the chemotherapy. And if they've gone through this with the Lord, they say, I was never closer to the Lord than at that time. It was a miserable time, but I was never closer to the Lord. Because He keeps us from the despair of suffering. This is what He does. It says, surely our griefs He Himself carried. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. He doesn't say He took away our sorrows. He says He carried them. It means He comes and He stands alongside us. He says, let me carry that cross with you like Simon of Cyrene did with Jesus. Let me carry that with you. And that's why we feel so close to the Lord because He's right there carrying our sorrows. This is what our God does. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forever. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. 
talk to young people all the time. What am I going to do? What do I do when I get that? You follow the Lord. He will make known to you the path of life. In His presence is fullness of joy. Do you see the bookends on this? It's, it's preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. In your presence is fullness of joy. This abiding with God. This is what He promises us Himself. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 15, verse 8. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. That's the way Jesus put it. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So His love for us is not in question. That is a given. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Period. Done. It's over. He loves us. It's settled. He says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. In other words, we have the free will to do this. And just step out of his love. He says, that I've loved you is established. Now abide in my love. Well, abiding is somewhat of an ethereal concept. How do you, what does that really mean? Jesus said, I'll tell you. Keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. Keep my commandments, and you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And I see it with men all the time. See, well, my, just, my wife doesn't listen to me, my kids don't listen to me, my life's a mess. I say, it doesn't surprise me. You have no accountability in, in, in your life. You're not accountable to the church, the body of Christ. You're not accountable to God. You just do your own thing. It doesn't surprise me that no one else under you listens to you because you've come out from that abiding place of knowing God. You've stepped out and everything else in your life is a mess. You come back into the church. You come under submission in the local church. You get to know your pastor and the people in authority and get, build a relationship there. And you'll be all right. You abide in my love. Then he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. How do we know the commandments of God? We read the scriptures. For over 35 years, I've read the scriptures every day of my life. I start in Genesis chapter 1, and I read through to Revelation chapter 22, and when I'm done, I start again. I figure it's a book, I'm going to read it. And I just pick up reading where I left off the day before. And I say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And he does. There's no way you can have your child become a concert pianist without giving them piano lessons. No way. There's no way you can know the commandments of God without reading the Scriptures. No way. Well, you know, the, if I just put a piano in front of him, he'll, he'll bang away, he'll be fine. He's not going to become a concert pianist. No way. You just bang away at the Word of God. You'll never be very good. You systematically study this and say, Lord, teach me. 
Read to it. Say, Lord, wherever I am today, speak to me. And He does. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, Jesus says, and that your joy may be made full. He says, I want my joy in you. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to share. I tell young people, I hope that you experience in marriage what I have experienced. I love my wife. I love to be with her. I love to be around her. She says, well, that's just because I serve you, give you food. I said, yeah, that too, but I just love to be around you. I just love to be with her. I've been married 33 years, and I just love to be with her. I hope that you young people can experience in marriage what I have experienced in my marriage. This is what Jesus said. I hope that you would experience in life my joy, Jesus said. And that's what he promises us. The bookends of the whole thing are abiding in him. And the abiding comes by keeping his commandments. Remember, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's all encompassed in this. The abiding comes through keeping His Word. Let's pray. Abba, I thank You so much for Your mercies, for Your grace. And I pray, Lord, for these precious people that You so fill them to overflowing with Your Word. Lord, I pray that, that the things that were said here today would just resonate in the hearts for their entire lives, that there would be treasures that were placed there that they will never forget. Father, for those of here who have shunned coming under Your umbrella of abiding. Lord, I pray that you draw them back and that they would step back in. Father, draw them back in. Lord, convict their hearts and draw them by your mercies. Father, for those here who have never before known you because they've never believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, Abba, save them this day. For those of you who have never given your hearts to the Lord, pray with me now. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Lord. Father, work in their lives to draw them close. Your mercies abound, I pray. Fill them with faith, with the persistence of faith and believing that You will reward them when they seek You. And Father, I pray for those that were convicted for not taking up Your Word and making it a part of their lives, that from this day, they would pick up the Scriptures and read it every day. Your mercies and Your grace abound for the glory of God. Amen.